This is Stephen Tobolowsky, and I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, thank you for joining us for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 627 of the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, we have a great show coming your way. Stephen Tobolowski is coming our way. He is uh, in so many different roles, but he was Principal Ball, or is Principal Ball, on The Goldbergs, which is an ending show coming up in May, the last episode. Uh, he's also in Archer and Spaceballs and One Day at a Time, Silicon Valley, Californication, Glee, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And he's going to be coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond, so I hope you'll stick around for that. And I want to thank all the people who sent in emails this week, and we appreciate that. Uh, love hearing from you. And uh, also, if you have a chance and you are getting your uh, episodes of On Screen or Beyond from whatever podcast provider, please subscribe to it. And that way, the second we put it out, it'll come down to you. You'll get it automatically, and uh, that helps, uh, you know, you get it without having to look and wondering. Uh, generally, our episodes come out on Sundays, but sometimes we have to delay because of whether it's a holiday or something, or something comes up and I just can't get it, or we don't have a guest, and so i got to wait a day or so. But uh, that's the best way to get it, and I uh, hope you'll do that. Also, if you get a chance, leave a five-star review. That'll help us out. And uh, also... Let your friends know about On Screen and Beyond, because I'm sure if they go back in our archives, our reruns, they will find somebody, and in fact, probably many people, who they'll love to hear about telling their stories from their own mouth, and uh, it's a lot of fun to listen to these people. So I hope you'll take the time to do that, and it'll help us out. So... Also, I want to remind you that Behind the Golden Curtain, that's right, the tribute to the Golden Girls, is coming up on May 26th to May 28th. Got to get here quick. And that's at the Rinda Theater in Orinda, California. So if you want to get uh, you know more information on that, you can go BehindTheGoldenCurtain.com and you can get all the information there. They're going to have some great guests, some panel discussions, and uh, all sorts of things. Robert Picardo is going to be there. From uh, He was uh, a guest star on the show, The Golden Girls, but he was, of course, known for Star Trek, uh, Next Generation, and so many other things. Sonda Curry's going to be there. She was in The Hangover, and Ronnie Shell from Gomer Pyle, Julie McCullough, and she was on Growing Pains, and Terry Hughes, one of the directors, of so many episodes of the Golden Girls, and also Mark uh, Scottkin. He's going to be there, and he's one of the producers of the show, and there's a whole lot of other people that are going to be there. So uh, check it out. Find out about it. If you're in that area, the San Francisco Bay Area, you can hop on the BART, get right up to the Orinda Theater in Orinda, California, and you can see a uh, great, great uh, show. It's going to be so much fun. And last year they had... The Land of the Lost, well, this time it's the Golden Girls, so get ready for that, and I hope you'll have a good time there. All right, it is time. Why don't we get right into it? It's time for Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. (laughs) 
Remake Madness, sequels and prequels. Daisy Ridley will return as Rey in the upcoming Star Wars movie, and uh, this time she'll continue to build a new Jedi Order. And Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom will be released. The release date has been moved up five days. It was going to open up on Christmas Day. They've moved it up to December 20th, and the same day as the next Ghostbusters sequel arrives. And John Wick spinoff Ballerina will hit theaters on June 7th of 2024. And a sequel to Michael Mann's Heat may come over our way if the rumors are correct. It's sort of just swirling around right now. We'll see what happens. Dwayne Johnson will produce Disney's live-action version of Moana. And he plans to return in the film also. And uh, that's it for Remakes, sequels, and prequels. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies this Christmas. Uh, there'll be a new animated movie coming our way called Migration. Now, this is about a family of feathered ducks as they head out on a family vacation. So it sounds like it's going to be a fun movie. And it looks like Bella Ramsey, star of The Last of Us, has her next role in uh, a film called Monstrous Beauty. And it's a period piece set in the court of King Charles II. In a biopic about Bob Dylan, it is moving along. And it sounds like uh, they're going to have the guy who's going to be playing Bob Dylan do his own singing in it. So we'll see how that works. And that's it for upcoming new movies next on On Screen and Beyond. Movies and TV on DVD and streaming. Movies and TV on DVD and streaming. It looks like April 18th, Cocaine Bear runs on to Blu-ray and DVD. And digitally, it will be coming your way on April 14th. Magic Mike's Last Dance. It's going to be sliding onto Blu-ray and DVD on April 18th. And Last of Us, the complete first season, will wander onto Blu-ray and DVD and 4K on July 18th. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, on 4K, Blu-ray and DVD on May 16th. And on May 23rd, Shazam! Fury of the Gods arrives on 4K, Blu-ray and DVD. And that's it for movies and TV on DVD and streaming. And next on On Screen and Beyond, it is TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time, well, season two and the final season of Andor on Disney Plus will arrive on August of 2024. So you got to wait a little bit for that one. And uh, the uh, Jude Law is going to be starring in Skeleton Crew. It's uh, He'll be a Jedi in that, and it's a spinoff from The Mandalorian. And Netflix has canceled Sex Life after two seasons. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we sit down with Stephen Tobolowski. He's going to be coming our way, and he's going to just tell us so much. Uh, of course, the, the Goldbergs are ending, sadly. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed that show. He was uh, Principal Ball on the on the show and uh steven has had so many shows that he has been on in movies and everything and we're going to try to talk about uh, a lot of those things and a whole lot more coming up next steven tobolowski right here on on screen and beyond 
guest today on On Screen and Beyond is an actor who we've seen in so many TV shows and movies, including Spaceballs, Thelma and Louise, Mississippi Burning, Basic Instinct, Groundhog Day, Deadwood, Glee, Californication, One Day at a Time, Archer, The Goldbergs, and that's just to name a few. It's Stephen Tobolowsky. Stephen, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. It's very good to be here. Now, Stephen... Looking over, you know, just the small amount, which, well, actually the large amount of shows that I named in movies, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you've done so many different shows and movies. It's, it's, it's incredible. I know. I'm a lucky man. It's also called Contagion. It's, it's you know, as an actor, a very important thing is casting directors. And as you meet a casting director and you happen to pull through on a job, let's say, <laughs> let's just say they had trouble casting. They've gone through several people and then they pull you in and you do okay. And the director like congratulates them. That casting director is likely to call your name next time. And so as you begin to work your way in this business and you know more and more casting directors and you have some successes under your belt, you have people that call you up and say, hey, can you come in tomorrow and do this job? Mm -hmm. So you end up getting a lot of things on your resume. Yeah. And you know something, I was looking at all the things you've been in and I noticed that two things pop up quite often. You're a doctor or you're a principal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, there's a lot of doctors and principals in your credits. Yes. Uh, for young actors out there, it all depends on your state of baldness. <laughs> if you're young men, if you're young women, it, it depends uh, a lot on, you know, if you're going to play the young drug addict girl or the girl who's a troublemaker in high school. It depends how early you start. But what happens early in my career, if you take a look, I played police, mm -hmm. FBI guys, uh, like mafioso crime guys, because I was, you know, tall. I'm like 6'3". And back then, it didn't matter that I had kind of a sprinkling, you know, I, I looked like a guy who could rough somebody up. Now, <laughs> I look like cannon fodder. And now I look like the guy who would be roughed up. So over time, I under... I, I got the inkling of this, and I think I was in my 50s, and I got a role that was only called Grandpa. <laughs> and I was going, what, what, wait, whoa, 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 when did this happen? And, and I mean, Grandpa didn't even have a name. You know, I always have a thing for young actors and all, any actors out there, you got to have a part that has a name because, and it has to have a first and a last name because the name you are given is how much thought the writer gave in, in writing you into the script. Mm -hmm. So if you are grandpa, you, you, you are way down on that totem pole of the writer having given any thought to your character at all. So, but also I, I felt, you know, I was young, I was vibrant, I was traveling the world. I was and now I'm grandpa. It was terrifying. Now, I'm what, seven, I'm almost 72, I think. And I'm beyond the grandpa roles. <laughs> so now, in fact, they're retiring me from, from jobs, you know, so I, you know, I'm not going to be the principal at Goldberg's. Of course, they retired the Goldberg's, but yet, you know, I'm not the principal anymore because I'm too damn old. 
to be the principal of the Goldbergs. So, you know, just like life, you just kind of work your way into it and then you work your way out of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's why I'm playing a lot of doctors and, uh, Gosh, what am I playing now? Uh, now I'm just playing crazy neighbors and things like that. <laughs> Jeez. You know, that's, that's what I'm down to. That's the evolution of acting, right? <laughs> the evolution. You end up the crazy neighbor, but at least I have a name. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I, with the Goldbergs ending, uh, I think it's May 3rd or something like that, that the that the last episode is going to show. Is everybody coming back? Are you popping out? Can you tell us that or... I, well, I know I don't know which episode I popped up on, but I did pop up on an episode uh, this year. I only did one this year. I ended up doing like seven or eight or nine last year. Mm-hmm. The, you know, they just with with Goldberg's, they just kind of call your number as to again. I'm one of those secondary characters, so if it takes place at the school, mm-hmm. there's a good chance I'll be in the show. Uh, but if if they're not at the school, if they're at home and they're with babies and they're with all sorts of things like that, you're not going to call my number. So uh, but it was a wonderful, wonderful show to work on, not just and when people think of wonderful shows to work on you. A lot of people who aren't in the business think like, well, was it funny? Was it a success? Yes, it was funny. It was a success. Then other people think, well, was it? cast yes the cast was spectacular but as an actor you work on a lot of different shows and one of the things that makes a show really great are the producers and the crew Mm -hmm. and on the Goldbergs we had wonderful producers wonderful directors and the crew was genius and uh, just to give an example of of crew. So I was doing a Goldberg's last year, and it says I'm leaving the school carrying my briefcase. Well, I have never carried a briefcase in the nine years or whatever I did the show. It, it didn't even cross my mind because I'm always at my desk or, right. you know, on stage doing a speech. So I have a brief briefcase. So I figured, okay, they're going to give me a briefcase. No, not on the Goldberg's. So the prop guy comes up to me and says, so Stephen, I see this note in the script here that you're going to be taking a briefcase. Now, the way I look at it is you always aspired to be at great universities, uh, to teach at great universities, maybe Harvard, maybe Yale, maybe even Oxford in England was your dream when you first went to, to become a teacher. So I thought maybe what I would do is I would make your briefcase uh, a briefcase that you bought at a store that that's English, an English briefcase, maybe from the 1940s, to have a feeling of this is something that was one of your dreams. And I'm like, I'm like, this guy is a genius. You know, when the prop guy thinks so much about the history of your prop and your pen, this is the pen they gave you when you were going to retire, but you didn't retire. So you've kept this, you, you know, the backstory of this is what makes people on cruise and, and customers too. They brilliant customers come up with whole ideas, but behind your clothes, mm-hmm. which is uh, amazing. So, the, I mean, everybody thinks, okay, the writers and the director, and of course the good acting, I mean, you know, not taking that away, but they're the ones who make that character. 
but what you're saying is is that it's not just them the prop people even down you know the prop people and everybody that's involved with it is giving you some type of backstory yeah the team the whole team uh, and and don't leave out hair and makeup right you know again on the goldbergs brilliant people in hair and makeup it was and i got it and there you know there are other shows that just jump out at me that were magnificent like silicon valley mm-hmm. you know we had amazing writers and producers on that show and the crew was amazing and and the hair and makeup people were amazing and so you go on those sets and you feel like you're in good hands and <laughs> Then, you know, there could be other shows you go on that I just say, you know, I'm going to bring something from home. I'll I'll just bring something from home that I think will work a little better than this. Mm -hmm. And and they go, sure, sure, whatever, you know. Huh. So what was the experience like on One Day at a Time? Is that similar (gasps) to that one? I mean, that was an amazing show. What an amazing show. Now, here's an example of the tragedy leading to the comedy. So before one day at a time, I was, you know, a couple of years before that, I was signed on to be an, uh, a regular on the Mindy project. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I think I did seven shows and they wrote me off of the show and it was, and I had like a seven year contract and it mm-hmm. was one of those things for an actor, you know, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And you think like, what happened? Why is it terrible? And now that, the Mindy Project is on Netflix. I have people coming up to me all the time going, love you on the Mindy Project. I said, well, you better love me quickly because <laughs> I'm going to vanish from the show. And, you know, it was one of those things you, you know, it, it kills your heart and it hurts all that stuff. And then you move on. You, you realize in show business, the most something hurts is about six weeks. And so when you realize that you go like, oh, well, that's not too bad. It's kind of like a bad cold or sore throat, you know, right. before you feel good again. And, yeah, okay, I'll be fine. But had I done the Mindy Project, I would not have been available for the TV experience of my life, which was one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And one day at a time uh, with Mike Royce and Gloria Calderon Kellett were our writer producers. Brilliant. They're both just so amazing. And a chance to work with Norman Lear. Yeah, that's what an <laughs> quite ex- a thing. So, so you are talking there about extraordinary, extraordinary producers and extraordinary writers, and then you got that cast. Mm-hmm. You got that cast, and you go on stage. You know, I didn't know Justina Machada at the time. I, I had not seen her in anything, and then I'm there, and I'm watching her in the first show, and I, I talked to my wife that night. I says, I think I may have seen one of the greatest actresses I've ever seen in my life. And wow. certainly one of the greatest actresses I've seen in a sitcom. And then I get to be romantic with Rita Marino. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Todd Grinnell and Isabella Gomez. And I, I mean, those kids were absolutely fantastic. I, I mean, it was just a great, 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 great show. Yeah. Just was there anything behind the scenes that we never saw that, you know, unusual, funny, whatever that, that you can bring up? Yeah, yeah. Here, I mean, now we did not discuss anything beforehand, so this is all just things that I'm bringing off the right. top of my head. 
for the final show of One Day at a Time on season two, I believe it was. So that's the show, if you know the series, <clears throat> where Rita is in a coma. The entire show. And all of us, each one of the cast members comes in and talks to her while she's asleep. And uh, hoping for, from our own point of view, trying to hope that some sound will get through and we'll, we'll, she won't be gone from us. Mm -hmm. And it's a very amazing show. When we did it in front of the live audience, when we, I have never done a comedy before where when you shoot a show, it's like four hours you figure, (laughs) you know, from eight, let's say eight or seven, they usually start earlier. Let's say, they get the audience in about 4, 4.30, and you start the show about 5, 5.30, and you finish, you know, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, if you're lucky. Not one laugh. Or maybe a laugh here or there, but it was a kind of silence in that audience where there's, you know, two, 300 people, live audience, that's kind of holy. Mm-hmm. Nobody could breathe. During the show, you don't get that in a sitcom. So here's the moment, not just the shooting of that show, but we had a limited time to put that show together, which meant we had to work over the Jewish high holy days. And I think, I think it was, I think it was Rosh Hashanah. I don't remember if it was Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, but it was one of the Jewish high holy days. Big deal. And so... Gloria and Mike said, Stephen, will you be able, we need an extra day to rehearse this show. And we need to rehearse on Monday, whatever that, we need to rehearse this day. Will you be available? And I've done shows on Broadway and I know you you do shows. If you're Jewish, you do it on Shabbat and you do it on Jewish holidays and you do, you do two shows on Saturday the day of rest, uh, if you're on Broadway. So, you know, I, I said, yes, I, 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 will, I will work on this day that you're not supposed to work. So we start rehearsing uh, alone in the studio, uh, this very important show, and in walks Norman Lear, and he comes and he sits down on the stage with me, and he starts talking to me, about his Jewish upbringing. And together, the two of us sat there while the rehearsal was going on a few feet away from us. And we shared stories from our childhood, talking about growing up Jewish, where we were, when we were. And when I was a little kid watching television in Oak Cliff, Texas, which is about 20 miles outside of downtown Dallas, The window to our world at that time was a Norman Lear show. It was the show that everybody, whether it was on the family or any, you know, we would sit around the TV and watch the Norman Lear show. And that's how we knew what the world was really like, because it wasn't what it was like growing up in Oak Cliff, which was a white flight area. There were no uh, black people that lived in our neighborhood, none at all. You know, maybe I knew three growing up in my life, but they were like maids and, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was, 
it would, but I didn't know. It was kind of like a normal world for me. Yeah. And but watching a Norman Lear show, you got a glimpse of what the world was really like in a funny, funny way and in a loving, loving way and in a judgmental sort of way of saying, you know, you look at Archie Bunker and you go like, you want to be like that? You want to be like, <laughs> you know, what do you want to be? And we, you want to be like Meathead or you want to be like Glory? What do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And there was a joy in his comedy that sitting now on this stage decades later playing, you know, Dr. Berkowitz with Norman Lear and both of us exchanging stories of our upbringing was as holy an experience as I could have had on the high holy days. Mm -hmm. And if I had been sitting in synagogue doing these prayers again. Wow. That's incredible. But but it was a great show, great show, oh, and yeah. I, I will always treasure my memory of that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is Mark Cuban, and if you love TV, listen to Brian Zemrek and On Screen and Beyond. It's the ultimate television podcast. And and so many different shows we could go through here <laughs> but one one that i particularly enjoy uh seeing you on uh, well not seeing you don't see you on this show but we hear you on archer amazing and and this was this was something that was just kind of uh, you know you know hilarious um i guess the archer story this is this is a crazy story. <laughs> Archer's this crazy. A, so <laughs> it's a crazy so show. So we're back in the one day at a time era. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm on vacation in Helsinki, Finland with my wife, and we're visiting some actors we know there, and they want Anne, who is a director, uh, to help them with their play in Helsinki, Finland. And me, I'm just going there to drink beer. That's all I'm doing. I'm, I have no part of this at all. I'm just enjoying Helsinki, where my wife and I had been 33 years before uh, just to visit, to go to a, a theater festival there. So it was like old home week for us going to Helsinki again. And I get this uh, message from Mike Royce, uh, one day at a time producer and writer, saying, can you be in Austin, Texas at this time, we're going to do a presentation, a, a kind of an interview thing of one day at a time for for the press. And we want to have the cast there. Where, where are you at now? Can you can you be in Austin? And I said, well, Mike, I'm in <laughs> Helsinki, Finland. But when is the day? And I will be there for for this uh, interview, for this kind of media media thing for one day at a time. So there is a nonstop flight from Helsinki, Finland to Austin, Texas. Wow. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's a long flight. It's a very long flight. And you watch several James Bond movies on the way and not the old ones with Sean Connery. But you, you watch these two and a half hour James Bond movies one after another and you're going like, yeah, and you eat lutefisk, and you, you and they fly you to Austin, Texas. So I land. I'm kind of like this, and I get a message from Mike Royce. We're over at this hotel. 
if if you could meet me here and then maybe we'll go out to dinner and we'll talk about what we're going to do. <clears throat> so I go to this hotel where I'm going to meet Mike. And he said, just go over to the restaurant. I'll be there shortly. It's right across the street. It's a Mexican restaurant right across the street. I know you're asking, wait a minute. This was about Archer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I start walking across the street from the hotel to the Mexican restaurant where we're going to have dinner. Halfway across the street, one of the media people happened to be the writer, executive producer of Archer. Oh, geez. <laughs> and in the middle of the street, he goes, wait a minute, Stephen Tobolowsky, Stephen, uh, we're writing a part for Archer that we think you'd be right for. Would you like to do it? And I go, yeah, sure. And now we're walking across the street. And then he says, and let me, oh, that's great. That's great. So when will you be back in Los Angeles? And I will, we'll send you the script and we can start recording. I said, well, I'll be back in Los Angeles in like a week. Great, great. And, and then we're still walking across the street. We have not crossed the street yet. We're mid-street. And he goes, and I have a favor to ask you. I've written kind of a script treatment for the show one day at a time that, that you're in. Is there any way maybe you could introduce me to someone uh, that is involved with one day at a time. And at that time, Mike Royce starts crossing the street again. <laughs> and I go, well, as a matter of fact, here's our executive producer. And in the middle of the street oh, in Austin, Texas, <laughs> this meeting occurred. And that's how I ended up on the show Archer. And that's how I hope he ended up connecting with Mike Royce. And then Mike and I went and had Mexican food. Wow. <laughs> Only in Hollywood, <laughs> right. not Hollywood, in Helsinki, in Austin, in whatever. Wow. Do you, you find a lot of times things like that happen, uh, you know, things you wouldn't expect? Yeah, well, well, you have to, I guess you have to take a look at this. Show business, uh, the ocean is very small but very deep. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, I keep wondering how many people are really professionals in show business I looked up the the uh, hiring uh, the the records of SAG Screen Actors Guild, the professional guild. How many people are professional actors that are in the Screen Actors Guild? And the statistics SAG gives they give two statistics. One is between sixty and eighty thousand people are members of the union. Mm -hmm. So if you take a look at that in to be a professional screen TV actor, whatever, 60 or 80,000 are in the union and pay dues with a, an unemployment rate of 95%. Yes. So how many people, you have this ocean of people that are connected, that are professionals in the union, and how many work? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Small, yeah. small, small group. So whether you're in Helsinki or Austin or L.A., and you see somebody that you've worked, you know. So that's how you keep bumping into people in, in the rarest. Quick, quick story. When I, well, maybe not, you know, my stories aren't necessarily <laughs> quick. So anyway, when I was in college and dreaming of being a professional actor, the actor that we all wanted to be was James Earl Jones. Mm -hmm. He was he was just on Broadway and did the film Great White Hope. 
And now he was doing Of Mice and Men on Broadway. He was going to do Of Mice and Men on Broadway. He was going to play Lenny. And they picked our school in Dallas, Texas, SMU, for James Earl Jones to rehearse the play. So there was a chance that we little students would have a chance of running into James Earl Jones in the hallways of our school. And we're going like, oh, my God, if only I could see James Earl Jones. Well, we did see James Earl Jones. And we were speechless. And then we saw him do Of Mice and Men as as a kind of a run through on our stage in at SMU in Dallas, Texas. Wow. But then later when I was a grown man, I ended up working with James Earl Jones for real in Thailand uh in a in a TV movie called Last Flight Out. And there was no place we we had no dressing rooms this one particular day. And so we were at some Thai Air Force Base in the middle of the jungle, and there's a plane, a jet, and they put folding chairs under the jet so we we would be out of the broiling sun, and James Earl Jones and I were sitting next to one another under the jet in Thailand, in the middle of the jungle in Thailand, and I talked to him about how great it was when he was at SMU, and I got to see him in SMU. But then later in my life, I'm doing the show Sneakers, and James Earl Jones and I are are in the movie together again, and we're there again, and now he's playing the head of the CIA or something, and I am playing Werner Brandis, and I see James Earl Jones again, and I go, hey, James, (laughs) it's so good to see you. I remember in Thailand, and then... James Earl Jones and I got invited to George Lucas's birthday party up up in Northern California, Mm -hmm. not together, but separately. And we're there, but we happen to be staying at the same hotel. And so George Lucas had a kind of a bus to take people back from his party to the hotel. So on the hotel, the only seat that was available on the bus was next to James Earl Jones. So I'm sitting next to James Earl Jones, and I go, James, it's me, Stephen Tobolowsky. He says, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, we worked together, you know, you know, on on the movie in Thailand, and we were under the jet there. And then at SMU, and I go through the whole thing with him again, and he looks at me, and his eyes go wide, and he looks at my bald head now, and he goes, God, I'm so old. <laughs> I'm you got to get that Darth voice. Vader voice going. <laughs> yes. I'm so old, so old. Please, I hope I never see you again. <laughs> Always a gracious guy. Always, a, but still, still one of my idols. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're running out of time, but if I don't ask you about this movie. I am going to get nasty letters. (laughs) You got to go for it. Groundhog Day. Yes. I mean, that has become, I don't know if you want to call it a cult classic or a classic or. I think it's, I think it has to be a classic. Oh, yeah. I think it used to be a cult classic, but now it's a classic uh, because it's clear that it's one of the best movies made, uh, you know, just. 
in terms of movie making, successful comedy, successful uh, romance. It, it's difficult to do a romance film that that doesn't make you cringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the directing is wonderful. The concept is great and profound. And, uh, you know, it's I, I remember when I saw it opening night, I, I saw it and I went out uh, to Harold Ramos and I said, I think I may have seen one of the few perfect movies I've ever seen. And a lot of it was, everything was perfect. Even the credits were perfect. You know, a lot of times during that era of filmmaking, they would do outtakes for the credits, right? Which make me cringe. And it's basically just actors forgetting their lines and laughing. But, But, you know, Groundhog Day took itself seriously because... As we found out later, you know, Harold Ramis uh, was a practicing Buddhist, and he said the real story, because people are asking, well, how long is Bill Murray trapped in time? And I asked Harold Ramis that at a a charity event. He says, well, Stephen, I'm a practicing Buddhist, and we believe it takes 10,000 years to perfect the human soul. And that's the real story of Groundhog Day, the perfection of the human soul. And I go... That's why the film is so good, because the underlaying of the film isn't just about somebody trying to have sex with somebody else, which is usually what or love or whatever. But it is beyond that. It is beyond a human life. It is the perfection of the human soul. And Bill is so good in it. And Andy is terrific in it. I mean, it's a great cast. Oh, yeah. We we had a, a war doing it, and it was a phenomenal experience for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, before we finish up, I got to ask you about, uh, you're a musician. I didn't know that, you know, doing a little research. I see that you, you're in, what do you play? What do you? Well, I mainly play the piano and I mainly play classical music. I, I, this, this is a thing. They, they had a thing uh, at Carnegie hall, Alfred Brindell, who's one of my favorite classical pianists ever of all time, was is doing a master class on the Beethoven sonatas. And I asked my wife if I could go and apply to take the master class with Alfred Brindell. And it was only for, I think it was something like they were ex- going to accept 150 musicians from all over the world. And you had to do your resume of what symphonies you what orchestras you played with and all this and so on mine i said i'm i'm not very good at the piano but i love alfred brindell and i'm in movies and so they accepted me and i was there uh with all these great musicians sitting beside me at the master class we did a week uh at carnegie hall and then we finished by seeing a concert with Alfred Burdell, and then each one of us could go up one at a time and meet the great man. And so my turn, I go backstage at Carnegie Hall, and there's Alfred Burdell, and he looks at me and he goes, wait a minute, aren't you Ned? (laughs) (laughs) It sticks with you. (laughs) It sticks with you. It sticks with you. So, uh, you know, that was a great experience. So I play the piano and I, d- I don't play it well, but I play it every day. And I think it's the kind of thing growing up in Dallas, if I had started earlier and if I had had stricter teaching and whatever, had didn't want to play baseball so much, you know, maybe I could have been a low level 
pianist, but I'm 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 not that good. But I play Beethoven and Chopin and Brahms, and I play <laughs> all that stuff like all the time every day. But I'm no good, so. Don't expect I'm going to show up anywhere playing anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My wife loves it, though. She says, oh, thank God, please. I'm going to run the Yuffie again through the house. Could you do that Beethoven sonata? Yeah, yeah. sure. Wow. Well, Stephen, uh, we got to finish up here. But um, I, uh, before I do, I just got to ask you one more thing. You have a podcast, a monthly podcast, correct? Well, I it was, I think, more than month we what we did is I think we have 99 episodes. And when we started doing the podcast, it's called the Tobolowski files. Yep. And we were going to do just a few stories, but it ended up on, uh, NPR radio and, uh, PRI radio all over the country and then all over the world. And so these, the Tobolowski files are true stories that I tell from my life kind of like I've been telling today about life, love, and show. there are show business stories there, but there is the story of Alfred Brindell in there and a few ground, Groundhog Day stories. But mainly, I broke my neck in 2008, and the doctor said I had a fatal injury, which I obviously didn't. So in my recovery, I started writing these stories for my kids to say, this is who your father was in case I had really died on the mountain. And then I ended up recording these stories with David Chen in Seattle. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And he's the one who got them on the Internet. And to this day, my kids still have not listened to it, nor have they read the books of stories I did, which is the famous uh, The uh, Dangerous Animals Club and My Adventures with God, which are Simon & Schuster, which are also true stories from my life. Yeah. Well, want to finish up with a final question. Yep. What's your favorite TV shows now and of the past? And what's your favorite movies now and of the past? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Uh, fate, well, my, they're all old. That's, I don't right. know. That's, that's what people want to hear. I love Queen's Gambit. That's Good. new. Yep. New TV show. That's fabulous. You know, that's old school. Uh, in, in terms of movies, I love the Bourne movies, the three Bourne movies. I see those movies over and over and over and over again. So that's a sign that I must love them or I love mass murder. I don't know which. But but I, I love those films uh, in terms of, you know, right now in terms of TV, I'm I'm babysitting my grandbabies now. So I have grandbaby hours in that I usually go to bed at eight o'clock watching the British baking show ah, because yes. that show will put me to sleep like that. My wife watches and, that all the time. And now we're going to do caramel week and I'm out like a light. So, yeah. uh, you know, but in terms of movies, I like a lot of the great, great old movies, Alan Parker films, if you know, he's Harold Ramis films, you look for the great Ridley Scott, you look for the great directors and watch their films, and you'll always get something from them. Yeah. Well, Stephen, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to share with us. It's an honor to have you on the show. And I wish you luck with uh, all your projects. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> And a big shout-out going to Stephen Tobolowski right here on On Screen and Beyond. And uh, so much fun talking to him because he's done so many things. And uh, we just want to, uh, you know, a bit of due to the Goldbergs, but I'm sure he's going to continue on with so many other projects, and we'll be seeing him more and more, I'm sure.
And once again, I want to remind you about uh, May 26th to the 28th at the Rinda Theater. It is going to be Behind the Golden Curtain. Be sure to check that out. And uh, you can go to BehindTheGoldenCurtain.com, find all the information on it, and uh, have a lot of fun there. And uh, also, we uh, love hearing from you, and uh, I try to get back to people as fast as I can. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And also, uh, the uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram, the whole works, you know, we're there. Uh, a lot of times we post things first on Instagram and then we go from there. And uh, so, but remember, go ahead and subscribe to On Screen and Beyond. It doesn't cost anything. It's not one of those subscriptions where you got to pay. It's just a, it's a subscription on your uh, podcast provider. So the second we put that episode up, it will download to you. So you don't have to look around or think about it or anything like that. So uh, go ahead and do that. And um, you will have the episode as soon as it comes out right here from On Screen and Beyond. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of On Screen and Beyond. So until next time, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Mm-hmm.